0: Okay, um, so yeah, a little bit of a change. I asked Daryl about a month ago about taking this Sunday for for um, Sunday school. Just one, it gives him a break off. Two, with the conference coming up next week for the Shulkies, and that being a missions focus, I thought it'd be good to make today this Sunday prior a missions focus as well. Um, and so I thought I would take a teaching that I did recently because then I don't have to prepare. And use that. Always duplicate less work. <laughs> um, so let me open in prayer, and then I'll explain a little bit of what this is. So let's pray. Our Father God, we are grateful for who you are, thankful for the work that you're doing in our lives and in the, in the lives of those around the world, Lord. Father, as we come forth today and, and celebrate this week thinking about the Great Commission. Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts, that you would guide and direct us. Lord, may we desire to be part of that great commission. Lord, we commit this time to you. We ask for your guidance, your direction. May you guide our conversation, and may we be, I guess, impaled by the truths and thoughts that we think through here this morning. It's in your holy and precious name we pray, amen. So at the end of June, as Bethany and I went to a conference, I was asked to do a teaching. And that teaching basically was a panel discussion on the subject of missions. And we brought back together several people from BMW. Um, I mention names because you'll know some of these people. Um, One being Andrew Bunnell, who's the current director of Biblical Ministers Worldwide, and then Paul Sager, the previous director. Um, Also in that was Chris Anderson. Chris Anderson is the guy that wrote His Ropes for Mine, which we'll be singing today. And then Kevin Brubaker, since he was back, I asked him to be part of it and then his area director, Josh Nycom. So there were six of us up there. And the title, as you can see, is Missions Vigilance, Responding to Current Trends and Issues in Modern Missions. And basically, I picked three topics of current trends. We only got through two of them in our one-hour session. Uh, I wish the guys were here, because it would be much more exciting, and they have a lot more input than I do. But I wanted to take that and just have a discussion then with you guys about missions and kind of some of the current trends. And actually some of the current trends are not necessarily missions themselves. They're actually just things going on in the world that impact missions. Um, And so I'm gonna just jump right in and first just talk about what I call changing missionaries. And there's gonna be basically the only slides I have up here are just charts and numbers. Nothing too important but something to kind of highlight. So this first one is population of the United States. And it's kind of broken down by age, and then 2010, 2015, 2020. And there's some things I want to highlight there. Obviously, the bulk of the population is going to be found in that age 15 to 64 age range. But then we have kind of two groups. We have this zero to 14, and this 65 plus. And look at that 65 plus, in 10 years, that percentage has gone up 4%. So in 2010, 13% of the population was uh, 65 or older. Now here we are 2020, 2022, and 17% of the population is 65 or older. First off, is that even surprising? It really shouldn't be because we have the baby boomer boomer population that kind of offsets all of that that should tell us that. I mean, that shouldn't be anything that really stands out. We should expect that that age group is going to go higher. But then you look at that in conjunction with that zero to 14. So while 65 plus went up 4%, zero to 14 went down 2%, which means we're not actually producing enough children to replace the current population. If you've looked at Japan, I think in the last three months, they kind of issued this thing saying, we're going to be in a crisis because we don't have enough people to replace those that are aging out. They've already acknowledged that. and Most countries are going to be that way to some degree. But how does that impact missions? Think about it a little bit.
1: sending out you new missionaries you've got more retired people available to go on I guess
0: possibly more retired people available you definitely have more retired people yeah. are they capable I mean physically yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
0: actually you see a number of people who do that
1: yeah. look at Roy <laughs> Roy's still
0: going <laughs> yep there's a number of people it almost missions becomes their second career um I would tell you that the trend in missions follows this trend, though it also means that most of our missionaries on the field are aging. And I'll give you an example there. So that's a breakdown of the age of missionaries, starting at age 18. 52% of those missionaries are age 50 or above. If you break that down further, 22% are 65 and older, And 30% are age like 50 to 65. So half our missionaries are over that age. Does that seem concerning? So I asked the men that, does this concern you? And their response was, no. Because ultimately God is sovereign. And there's several things to kind of look at here. God is sovereign. He's going to do what he's going to do. And so sometimes we just have to work with what we've been given. And so in this case, maybe it means that we enter less fields. Maybe we have to prioritize certain countries over others. I don't know. Um, Excuse me. I kind of look at that, though, and think this is an opportunity. And I don't know if the guys mentioned this. But for me, that excites me in the sense that that, these numbers are U.S. But there's a whole world out there. Those other countries could be replacing our missionaries. Missionaries don't have to come from the United States. Instead, they could come from other countries. And in fact, I think that should be the goal. That was our goal when we were overseas wasn't just to build up a local church. That's your priority because you got to start somewhere. If you don't have a local church, you can't send missionaries out. But the goal was to send missionaries out and see those countries take that ownership and do so. Some countries are. If you look at the stats, Brazil is sending out huge numbers. With that said, most of those huge numbers are... They're false teachers, unfortunately. But... That should be concerning because that means there's false teaching out there going strong that we need to confront too, but that tells us other countries can send people out. So how does a local church address that? Let's pick on ourselves. What is our role in this, addressing this trend in missions? are younger missionaries. The other send out younger missionaries.
1: Mm-hmm. We have. Mm-hmm. No. Another thing is to make sure the missionaries you are sending out are actually uh, teaching and teaching the gospel, that they're not just doing social, social work. work. Make sure that they're actually
2: focused on it So, are you necessarily being sending out to like a different country, or just sending out to?
0: I'm just what talking is your version of sending out. What is sent out? What does that mean? That's my definition of a missionary is sent out. What's the great commission say? Go everywhere. Go everywhere. I don't think we have to limit where we go. So I'm kind of trying to speak generally at this point.
1: Well, America is pretty much a mission field right
0: now. And there are nations sending missionaries here because they see that need Mm -hmm. so Europe tends to be a few years ahead of us if you look at trends specifically England if you look at England and kind of consider what goes on there usually five to ten years later that arrives here what is the state of the church in England there almost isn't one Europe, England, has become one of the most difficult fields in the world. Are
1: there quite a few Muslims there?
0: There are. I mean, there's a lot of Muslims in Europe in general, too. But even apart from that, and even prior to that, they were going wayward. And what it was, is they went into worldliness. People are sucked into the world. We see that here. People are more entrenched or more desirous to be involved in the world than they are with Christ. And the result of that is the church dies. And Christianity dies, and the gospel dies. So what we saw in England, I wouldn't be surprised if it migrates this direction. So when we talk about sending out, Great Commission says go everywhere. It doesn't limit. In fact, Acts 1-8, what does Acts 1-8 say? It actually gives us a process. Or not a process, but a vision Did you guys all hear that? Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So the vision for even the first churches was, we're going to start local, we're going to go regional, and then we're going to go worldwide. So the vision's kind of set there. September last year, I preached from Romans chapter 1 and gave you a vision of what Paul was doing. And Paul just did the same thing in his ministry With his eventual goal to reach Spain, which was the end of the earth at that time in their eyes. We don't know if he made it. Some people say yes, some people say no. We really don't know. It doesn't matter because what he did is he planned his steps and then let God direct. And you saw him primarily be in Jerusalem and then slowly advance out all the way to Rome. Here's another thought. How do you reach the world from here? The what? The, internet. the internet's a way to do that. I'm thinking personally, I guess. How do you have personal interaction with the world from here? You have to go there. What? You have to go there. You can't just do it from here necessarily. Some yes, but some no. First thought Actually. is to go there. That's the first step. Not all of us can. Well, my thought is this, and we're a smaller town, but it still applies here. What's one of the supposed crises that we see in, in the news these days? Crisis. On the border. Oh. It's immigrants. Yeah. The world's coming to us. Mm-hmm. We don't need to go to them in one sense. They're coming to us, and specifically, there's a lot of people coming here for education. They're going to the universities. I can't remember the numbers, but it's millions of people, millions of kids, youth, are coming in to attend universities here. And the majority of those, not all, but the majority of those are going back to their home countries. How about we share the gospel and disciple and make disciples of those people before they go back home? So there's different things we can do, it doesn't have to be all U.S. missionaries. It's a matter of finding those opportunities though and reaching out. And ultimately, one of the things that excites me about this with less missionaries, it puts a bigger burden on the church. The church can't just pay anymore for the Great Commission to be done, which is kind of what we've done. For most people, when you ask how are you involved in the Great Commission, well, I I write my check. Southern Baptist Church, I write my check and send it to the IMB, the International Mission Board. That's the extent of their relationship with missionaries. They don't have any come visit their church. They don't support any individually. There are some that do, but overall... That's a relationship. This puts the burden on the church then. If we don't have enough missionaries to send out, it means the church has to be doing the work. And that's an exciting thing. I think one of our problems is church attendance so in general. People are not coming to church. So then, where's our... <laughs> Which goes back to what Bethany said. Yeah. More that here, so that we can... I'll hit it later in my message, but general unbelief in the United States has increased like 10% in the last few years. It's increased at the highest rate it's ever increased ever since being measured. That should concern us. The problem is, though, when the church looks like the world, the world doesn't need the church. That's why I preached so much about us three weeks ago a city on a hill was our scripture reading that was how i opened my sermon god has called us to be different to be distinctive that's what that holy is to be set apart but if we're not set apart and and look like the world then the world doesn't need us because they're content with doing what they're doing because it's no different if that makes sense I think ultimately that comes down to that we've watered down the gospel. And I hope we'll get into that a little bit on Wednesday nights. I know we'll get into that because I've been preparing. So first trend is just changing missionaries. When talking about trends, as much as in one sense we probably don't want to talk about it, I, I think we have to talk about the world in which we live. And that's kind of just a geopolitical situation. There's no way to avoid that politics and world governments and health things are impacting missions. We saw COVID shut things down for several years. Some countries still shut down. In some cases, missionaries stayed and they're stuck there. In other cases, missionaries had to leave and they've not been able to go back talk about politics and things like that and we can point to Kevin and Yulia who had to leave because of politics. Their ministry for them is completely in flux to the point that they don't know if they can ever go back. So this map up here is supposed to show conflicts. Take it with a grain of salt um, because how you define a conflict could be very broad or very narrow. As an example, there's one key thing missing up there, China. China doesn't show any issue there, and yet I would tell you, especially in terms of missions, it's it's a big issue. It's something we have to think about. On the other end of that, Brazil down here is highlighted as having conflict. but you know what it's why it's highlighting that? Because they're having a presidential election that's kind of contentious. Not a big deal. so. That's why I say, take it with a grain of salt. The point of this is, look at how many conflicts there are worldwide. It's huge. And so I think there's a fairly adequate representation of just seeing that there's stuff going on across the world that impacts if and how we can do missions. So let me ask you this, are we losing access to certain countries or certain missions fields. And I think the internet is something to keep in mind. (coughs) I think it's a tool, though, not for us to rely on. Because what we see is the need for personal relationships in Scripture. And, I, and I'll, I'll draw back on China again and talk about them. They limit the internet. Russia limited the internet to their own people during this time. So and it, the internet's a tool that can be controlled by people. And so let us use it and leverage it to the best we can. I think COVID and church closures forced churches to deal with that in a way they've never had before and try to leverage that. At the same time, remember it is just a tool.
1: I think that probably means that you know God needs to raise up people within their own nation to reach their country. and can't bring in outsiders.
0: And that was kind of my thought as I alluded to earlier. How do you reach them? Train the nationals. First off, training people within their own country to the best of whatever options may be available. The other option is to send out. As an example, again, calling back on our experience is Argentina. With their passport, they could get into countries we could never get into. And they were. We knew people going to some of those countries. Because of the hatred towards the US, there are some countries that have just kind of closed their doors or made it very, very difficult. But that doesn't mean somebody else from elsewhere can't go. How about Ukraine in the midst of this? The gospel has, in one sense, been limited in Ukraine, but has its effectiveness been limited? What happened to a lot of those people in Ukraine? They
1: had, to leave.
0: they had to leave. They've just been dispersed. And so you have this country that actually had a good base of churches and seminaries that's all been destroyed. And yet now they've been dispersed. So they may not be able to stay there but they can go into other countries and they have gone into other countries with this knowledge of the gospel. So it's again, it's kind of getting out of the mindset that it's not just us. There's another aspect of this though that I think is important because now we have missionaries being displaced. And again, I, I call back because we had the relationship with Kevin and Yulia. In their displacement, as, as difficult as that is, what is the church's role then? I would say to support them first off, but how do we do that? A whole wide range of things. Prayer is first and foremost. That should be the first thing any of us do in any situation, especially for our missionaries. I'll add to that the finances, because it's easy, maybe not for a time, but to eventually say, well, you're not doing ministry, so we're going to cut back our finances. And I'll give the example of, of Josh, the, the area director for Kevin. Josh was pulled out of China because of COVID. He and his family hadn't been there very long. They were engaging the community, starting to learn the language and get a grasp of it. And then COVID hit. And to the best of my knowledge, every BMW missionary stayed on the field with the exception of China. And China, that became a risk in which they just said, we need to bring all our missionaries home. And I think it was the right decision. Here we are now two years later and they're still not been able to go back. And yet I've watched Josh and his family minister wholeheartedly to the best that they can here. Um, They are busy, and busy in good ways, not just busy to be busy. They're they're actually trying to work both in their local church but in elsewhere and support BMW. They're trying to do what they can. But they're at a point now, it's been two years, and people are starting to drop support. I get it. It's hard. We sent people to go to one position, and yet they're not doing it. And yet at the same time, Go back to the Lord of Sovereign. I don't know where they're going to end up. They hope to go back to China, but they're now at a point of trying to figure out, maybe we need to go elsewhere for now and see what happens. because I don't know if that's going to open up for them or not. But that takes time. So the missionaries need our patience and can't just rely our hope. How do I want to word this? We can't just withdraw our financial support from them either. That's their livelihood, and if we just withdraw it, it puts them in, in a difficult position. Not that say that there aren't some times when we do have to, to lessen it or, or pull back or something, but to just suddenly say, well, you're not doing the work, so we're not going to. Yeah, that, that gets hard. At least work with them and talk with them and be engaged. Know what's going on. I like what you said, though, too, and I think that's the third point. Give them time to serve. If they, give them time to recover first and then give them time to serve. And and I see that a lot. It's easy to come back and be depressed in the midst of it. Here they were doing things, they were doing what they had intended to do, and then that gets ripped out from under your feet. It's kind of like losing your job and being fired in one sense, especially when you thought you were doing well and then you just lost it. That's devastating. Not to mention the relationships that come out of that and get impacted. So give them time to recover and then, and then help them find a way to serve. Because if they're overseas serving in ministry, there's a reason. They have a heart for it. They have a gift for it. God's called them. And if they're not serving, that's going to get difficult. So allow them to use their gifts. I've appreciated the way, and their church is in a position to do this, but his church stepped up and... So said, we're going to take you on. We'll start providing housing and, and things that we can, hoping other people will offset, but um, we'll do whatever we can. And then it turned out, I don't know if you know all the situation up there, for the last hmm, five months or so, they've had two or three churches come to them, to this church, in Earl's church in, in Tacoma, saying, we need help. We're dying. We don't have a pastor, whatever it may be. We don't know where to go. It's been great because people have been able to step up. They have a couple of interns there. They now have Kevin who's off the field. They have Earl who's there um, because that's his home church. And they've pulled together these guys then to support these churches, including Kevin. So he's been given a way to serve. It's also a matter of just being patient. And I bring that up because I think that's an important thing to think about as we talk about supporting missionaries, going beyond the finances and when they're entering these difficult situations, how do you support them beyond just that? Um, I think I'm going to move on unless you guys have more thoughts there. I might actually hit this third topic. Okay. So we've alluded to this one earlier too. So we had changing missionaries changing world now we have a changing church and I'm going to throw that graph up there this is taken from a particular denomination or association of churches and it's hard to take one group and say this is everybody at the same time when you're an independent church like us we're not usually bringing our numbers together <laughs> so we have to go somewhere This is what I would call evangelistic encounters, meaning things like sharing the gospel, making disciples, baptisms. So in 1972, there was a peak for this group at nearly 450,000 interactions. So in evangelistic encounters. Then you go to 2001, and that's dropped off slightly By about 50,000 is a drop off there. And then you hit 2019 and it's dropped off by 160,000. So for nearly 30 years, there was a 50,000 drop off and then all of a sudden in these 18 years, there's 163 times as much of a drop off. And then you hit 2020 and it goes really low to the lowest point ever. 123,000. And then 2021 20, back up to 154. What happened? 2020. <laughs> COVID. That's going to limit encounters. So that's kind of an off year. You throw that out. You can't really... Kind of like that other map. You take it with a grain of salt and realize, yeah, it's going to go down. Some churches were closed even. <laughs> like us, as an example, we weren't able to go to community house. That limits interactions right there with unbelievers. So... Instead, if you look even from 2018 and 2021, though, and you see a drop off. Ultimately, what you see from 1972 to 2021 is a 65% drop off. And we can sit here and say, well, 2021 didn't fully recover, there's still things going on, which is true. But that doesn't account for a 65% drop off. What does that tell you? The Ultimately, that's the big thing. People aren't sharing the gospel. We could throw a little bit in there and say, well, the culture is harder. Yeah, but Paul was being persecuted for his faith too. So we're the first 1st century Christians. It was hard then, just as much as it is now. Ultimately, this is just encounters, too. It's not even conversions. I'm not saying this many people, because I don't think we can measure that. This is just people out there having some sort of interaction. It means people aren't sharing the gospel. I would tell you that means we've decreased our emphasis on the Great Commission. We being... Everybody, the whole, all the churches. What concerns me even more is a lot of us will talk about it, but never actually do it ourselves. We got to go share the gospel. We got to go share the gospel. But then you ask, when was the last time you shared the gospel? Three years ago? Five years ago? Very few people can say, I did it in the last week or even the last month. Most can't even say the last year. So we have this decreasing emphasis on the Great Commission. This becomes important for several things. Because one, it, it means we're not fulfilling our role. It means we're disobeying Christ's words to go out and make disciples. But all these other trends we just talked about get impacted too. It doesn't matter what the population is if we're not sharing the gospel and people aren't coming to Christ.
1: That sense of urgency,
0: also. Mm-hmm. So, how do you recover that? Oh, we're missing the sense of urgency. How do we convey that? What are some options?
1: Statement come to mind that can't waste a good crisis.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What? Afraid? What do you mean? We got two this week. <laughs> you know, they know me by name, you know?
2: <laughs> but I, I just know the difference in that alone. It's just people are just slowly starting to get back to communicating with people. Um, the Voices SCA group, they were doing groups at home and not at school because they couldn't do the school because of the, the rules and regulations, you know? They were just starting to get back into the schools to try to get more kids, to try to get
1: kids
2: don't even know about it mm-hmm. you know it's legal they can do it in school now if they're trying <laughs> but with all the restrictions we've had it's like when they get us back on again
0: so how do we respond then in that regard because there's, there's kind of two things there there are some restrictions in some places still and there are some people who are still scared
1: people in front of me, you know, make me aware of those opportunities. Don't let me, you know, let my own thing pull me away
0: from that. Let me to be sensitive to that and be aware more. I think prayer is the first step. Yeah. And, and for a number of reasons. One is we know the Lord answers prayer. But it's also a sign of humility of, if I need the Lord's help. Yeah. Third, it just... Often, when we're praying about something, it puts it in the forefront of our mind. Um, Obviously, because we're praying about it. But I mean even long-term. Not just praying about it in the moment we think about it, but often we'll think about it later. And so we're more aware when those opportunities do come. So I think the first step has to be prayer. I think the second step is sometimes we're going to have to go to them. There was a time when church was considered a priority in people, even unbelievers' lives. In fact, if you, I, I can think of several people in my life that if I asked them their testimony, their testimony was, well, I had kids. I thought, I, I need to get to church. So that's what they did. They, they went to church because they started having kids and needed something, and then eventually got saved. There's not that priority anymore. The church is not regarded in that same way And so, less people, less unbelievers are coming to churches. (laughs) That means we have to get out there and go to them at times. And making most of whenever people do cross our paths, whether it be at work, whether we're exercising, or whether we're we're doing some community service, whatever it may be, we use those opportunities. Go ahead.
1: And I was shopping in a second-hand store. As it was called the Tudor Ranch, but it's not called that anymore. I can't remember the name. But this lady—I don't know whether she's listening or what. I didn't say anything much. Talked to the clerk, and she come up to me and she says, "Are you a believer?" When they asked you that, you wonder what what they mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we got to talking and found out that she is a Christian, and she goes to the uh, Jewish kind of church in Vancouver faithfully, she just lost her husband, but before I even knew all that, I said, well, you can come and go to church with me, you know, that type of thing, and we just talked and talked and talked, and then, and then she she hugged me and said, I'll see you in heaven, <laughs> and just like that, and then the other encounter, like, if you're really led to, to, to uh, mm-hmm. talk to somebody, you'll be, you do get afraid, mm-hmm. but you ask the Lord to help you, and then just those little Words of John three sixteen. Oh, John! Uh, Billy Graham always preached that. But just some words. I know people that got saved when they said, "Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men." It's and in, in every encounter, like even the non-believers come to your your house. They ask questions, but you got to get to know them a little bit too. You just can't. Yeah. I mean, you can, but you can't. But I think they can pick you out. I know they can on that crowd and who do they come to when they need help -hmm. they come
0: to you they can pick you out if we're set apart as we just talked about earlier it's making the most of those and it's exciting most I think so it should be most of us know unbelievers and have ongoing interaction to some degree most of us have family that are unbelievers um Bethany and I got together with a lady that I used to work with years ago. A clearly an unbeliever. We got along because we we like to travel. Um, I don't even know how it came up, but we started having coffee together and talking about different trips and planning and things like that. So she met with us the other day. We've kept in touch with her, but very clearly an unbeliever. And going through some major things. And... <laughs> She said she was talking to a friend or something and said, well, how, how can you be a friend with, with a pastor? That's not like you at all. And her response was, well, he doesn't proselytize me. Mm-hmm. And I had two thoughts there. One is, I, that says something about me and I should be sharing more. Two is, I, I do actually, to some degree, in fact, I challenged her then when she was sharing some of her issues. I tried to bring out the word to some degree. She quick, quickly shuts it down. Um, and to be honest, I don't know why. I don't know what her history is, but there's there's something there that she has clearly put up a barrier. But I at least try occasionally. And usually that's the worst that can happen. Somebody might get angry. Somebody might not like it. But most of the time, you know what? I don't want to hear it. And then you move on. Try again later.
1: You know, Roy gave an illustration about uh, going to this uh, couple's place. And uh she the woman said, Well, my husband don't like preachers. You know, remember that story we told? And then he didn't he's there eating, he said, and then he said, um he drove up with a truck. He can't remember what kind of truck it was, well, it must have been his business truck. And so he had conversation with the man about the truck. He said he thought about every question he could think mm-hmm. of yeah. about his work. So that showed him to be the interested mm-hmm. in that person. Now my like that he's saw later, and he had become, mm-hmm. and so I was like, wow, how what wisdom! Mm-hmm. You know, you gotta, you can't <clears> them. <throat> you gotta be interested in what what they're doing and what they're saying. And...
0: That's why we can't be selfish, because that's where ministry begins. It's being interested in others, mm-hmm. not just ourselves and what we want. It's interested in others. That's why that's the character of an evangelist. Admittedly, that's hard.
1: Yeah. I think, too, a lot of people, I know when I was working in the schools, I don't know, I always just had a, an attitude, I guess, that people would say, how can you be so happy all the time? And there's my
0: perfect opportunity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you look for them again, usually those opportunities will come. feels what? i a lot of people who are, are like online pages, so like looking
2: for a church, and I'm like, hey, you know, actually, I, I told a lot of the Christian um, pastors in Castle Rock because they meet be occasionally in Castle Rock. I'm like, hey, I know another one, so, just <laughs> came in. so I I get I get a lot of people in there, so it's
0: it's, it's always different. opportunities. It's interesting because, and I don't know, this is conjecture on somebody who knows this stuff better than I do. He claims his thought is that the growing churches will be the ones that are gospel oriented. But he also says that he he thinks that those growing churches are gonna be growing laterally, meaning they're not necessarily growing by new converts, they're gonna be growing by stealing from other churches. Which is sad, because we don't want to be stealing from other churches. We wanna see people come to Christ. I hope that was insightful and something to think about as we went through things. Um, Let me close in prayer. Our Father God, we indeed are grateful that you are God over all things, that you're a God at work in this world, Lord. And Father, we know our own needs. We see that there's a need for your son and others. And, And Father, we're so grateful that you've met those needs. Father, may we be bold in proclaiming that. May we be bold in proclaiming the answer to life situations and life circumstances, Lord. Father, we're thankful that as we, we look at these various issues that it's really not for us to control. It's, it's up to you. And so, Father, help us to just follow you wherever you're at work. Help us in the hour to come to think about this more deeply. We commit all of this to you. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.